at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writers Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I'm joined by Sif Pop Writers Jacob, as well as Heath. Hello. This will be a really fun one, guys, because as you can tell, I'm I'm sick, uh, and then we're also starting late night. So, like, I'm curious, kind of what that's what's why gonna it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm curious what this podcast is going to evolve to. You know, all the phlegm that will come on. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. recording. Oh yeah, coughing, coughing fits, and or just tired Aaron. You know. One of the two. Um, nobody likes Tired Aaron. Actually, I kind of like Tired Aaron. Anyway, uh, we are at SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best different challenges, lots of other fun things on the website. Make sure to check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with all that. Uh, Heath does our monthly uh, the Oscars What If articles. That last one came out, uh, It was yeah, it was like a right couple of Christmas. days ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, that's been, that's been, what, like eight or nine articles now? No, that's ten already. Oh jeez! I've, I've already done a decade. Oh jeez! And uh, yeah, it's relentless, <laughs> but uh, they're they're a lot of fun. And then I also just did. Uh, I want to dance with somebody in Babylon, and uh, decision to leave should be coming out soon too. Nice. And uh, yeah, Jacob. Jacob had something. It's been a, it's been a hot second, if I recall, right? Yeah. My last thing that I did was the um, another person's treasure for Eight Crazy Nights. Right. Yeah, that was the one. Which was November, sometime in November. Yeah, that one was November. Uh, yep, yep. And then I have uh, Sharper coming up in uh, February, the new uh, A24 movie on Apple. So Nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah, cool. Well, lots of stuff to check out on the website, but on the podcast today, we're going to talk about two movies coming out this week, uh, and then we'll talk about our um, SIF topic. This will be the first week that we do a games from Aaron's watch list, or not a game, we're just picking a movie from Aaron's watch list, uh, and then, um, so we'll be talking about The Wolf of Wall Street this week, and um, after that, we'll explore the B-plot, answering your question, and wrap up with a spinoff. A quick recommend or warn from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writers this week. Um, guys, I want to know, um, we are here officially recording. This is January 2nd, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the new year is here. It, I'm sure you guys are still catching up on all the 2022 movies that you haven't gotten around to. I am as well. But what is what is that one movie that you are more excited than any to see for 2023? Or actually, hold on. I wrote most interested in to see. Uh, I think that's a very different question. You answer it however you want. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I had a hard time choosing. I actually wrote down like two, three, four, seven movies. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to have to say a movie that uh, is in the vein of the conversation we're having today and actually doesn't have a release date yet, so I could be wrong. But Killers of the Flower Moon, the uh, new Scorsese movie, is supposed to be coming out sometime this year. Another Leonardo DiCaprio joint. I believe Brendan Fraser makes uh-huh. an appearance. Maybe Jesse Plemons. Uh, yeah, based on a novel. That looks... I mean, we haven't seen a trailer or anything, I don't believe, but I'm always going to anticipate a new Scorsese movie. So Sure. We. Uh, yeah, I realized after we recorded the episode that we did not talk about that in the 2023 preview, but, but that's because there wasn't a release date set, so that was unfortunate. Heath, what about you? Um, 
interested in and anticipated is is the same for me and it and it's Oppenheimer. Um I I really enjoy Christopher Nolan's stuff. Um I'm not one of those that like blindly follow him and say Nolan is the best, but I do get incredibly excited whenever he comes out with new work. I think uh he plays with time as a narrative construct better than any other director working today and even if it's a what you would consider a fairly straightforward story, Dunkirk is probably the greatest example of this. He still manages to manipulate our experience of that straightforward story to make it way more compelling than it has any right to be. And, uh, you know, and seeing some of these shots that are coming out, this uh, really crisp black and white IMAX cinematography uh, and this ensemble of names that he has in this film, uh, it's just towering in terms of how awestruck it made me feel. But Oppenheimer is definitely my number one. There's others out there I'm excited for. Killers, like you said, Jacob, uh, Barbie, Mission Impossible, Dune, The Killer, yeah. uh, Indiana Jones. There's a lot. But for me, it's it's Oppenheimer by, by far. I was thinking about this question earlier. And like the film that I'm most excited to see, as I mentioned on the podcast, was Mission Impossible. Like, Because how can I not be after the recent success? Um, but I think the film I'm most interested in seeing is Indiana Jones. Um, like to see how, how, how James Mangold does with the property and how, how 80 year old Harrison Ford keeps up, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think that one's the one that I'm really like, Oh, this could go like in James Mangold, we trust, but Oh, if, if that was anybody else behind the camera, I would be questioning. So, yeah. Yeah. That one falls under the category for me of please be good. Just, just please be good because (laughs) I want it to, I like, it's number five on my list, but yeah, I'm so scared. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, it can't be any worse than Temple of Doom, right? Temple of Doom's not bad. Yeah, it is. I think you mean Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. No, that's I the said one what I said. Like, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, you're that's wrong, but take. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be any worse than Moonfall, right? Oh yeah. Nothing could be worse than <laughs> There you go. Screw that's, that movie. That's... Don't, let's not get me started on that rant. Cause I'll go off for an hour. The one other thing I wanted to get you guys uh, to answer is I had to share my movie collection uh, doc with you guys to see. I wanted to know. um, I want. I want to give an opportunity for you guys to roast me. So um, let's hear it. What you got for me? Oh, I was going to ask you. Is that in the Slack channel? Yeah, I need to just. I need to just copy the link and put it in the show notes. I did go through it. Not the whole thing. I kind of stopped around the letter L when I got about halfway through. Cause the, the theme that I would comment on is consistent, which is uh, you're actually like me where if there's something that's part of a franchise or a series, you finish collecting that franchise or series to your detriment. Yeah. And I don't really have anything to burn you for other than to say, I, I know that pain cause I'm a collectionist and I'll be like, I don't even want to watch this movie. I, I saw it in theaters. I'm probably never going to watch it again, but I want to buy it because I, my collection will feel hollow, if, especially if they come out with another sequel later on that I do like. And so now I'm missing something in the middle of a series and it's just, oh, so I, I yeah. feel your pain and your desire to collect literally every entry in a series. That said, it sometimes might be learned when to cut that off because I'm pretty sure you don't need any three ninjas movies after the first three ninjas hey, and you hey. could have just been done there. But like, yeah, I, I <laughs> you don't need the three others. But with that said, yeah, I, I get that pain because I do the same thing. 
Actually, um, we're def we're so three ninjas is on the calendar to talk about later this uh, schedule, uh, but we're only yeah. talking about the first movie. But I guess spoiler it's the only alert, one talking about it's it's the one that I think I like the least out of all of them. Well, so, it's okay again to be wrong. I appreciate you. <laughs> I grew up more with like the kickback and knuckle up. So those are the I forget that you're <laughs> much younger than me. Not like much, but like a no. decade younger than me. But yeah, that, yeah, that changes things. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. I am a completionist, and sometimes that is to a T. Like, mm-hmm. I di- look. I didn't really want to buy the Rise of Skywalker steelbook, but no, nope. I did. Uh, I, I I I've seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters. Bought it for the collection. Forced myself to watch it again just to be like, maybe I just had a bad experience. I was having a bad day. Nope, that movie's still garbage. I'm never gonna watch it again. But I'll keep it because I'm not gonna have Star Wars without the final thing. Well, and look, I, yeah, I mean, garbage. I, also, I feel that way with, um, you know, Solo, because um, Solo is a bad movie and I will not be taking. I would any... much rather watch Solo than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's, it's not even close for me. Yeah, probably. But the so... main thing is, I'm glad you're doing this, Aaron, because you have way too much stuff that needs to be watched that you want. I know. And I, I, I want to just sit you down and make you finish the James Bond movies because damn that frustrates me <laughs> i know look it's coming and me and my wife are for sure going to get around to it but yeah we're we're working on it yep i was wanting to have it all done by the time no time to got to die came out but it's just that's it's such an undertaking over a year later <laughs> well it's as soon as no time to die came out it was like it doesn't really matter anymore does it and look i've seen all the pierce bronson movies it's just been a while so yeah the list that i haven't seen is pretty short but the list that my wife hasn't seen is everything after the man with the golden gun. And like, look, we're in the bad era of bond. Like neither of neither me nor my wife like to live or live and let die or yeah, the man with yeah, the golden gun. I don't gun. know if it's the bad era. It's just, it's the Roger Moore era. It's just campy. So well, and like, now I, I, I'm not a fan of the campy more stuff. So I think it's the, the not fun era as well, but I know that there are, I, I don't want to say it's explicitly bad because there are some people that love can't be Roger I'm, Moore, and I don't want to upset them. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the next, uh, like the 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 ridiculous Roger Moore stuff, Moonraker and Octopussy specifically. Like I'm really looking forward to those. But sure, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you, if they're gonna be stupid, at least, least be funny. Favorite Bond film and and another one in my bottom five. You know, but, yeah, but it's like, look, it. at least if it's gonna be campy or dumb, let it be fun. You know, like just embrace sure. the stupid. You know. <laughs> Not like Diamonds Are Forever, which is just a bad movie. and That's, that's also yeah. my bottom five. <laughs> Jacob, do you have anything? Well, I feel like I have to roast you for owning literally every Fast and Furious movie. Sure, I'll sure. take that. That's fine. That, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's that completionist aspect, too. I mean... Uh, of course. Yeah, they're... I didn't own them for the longest time, and then I, me and my wife marathoned them all for Fast 9, because she liked Hobbs and Shaw, because Hobbs and Shaw is great. So I bought the seven movie collection. Yeah, I'll take it. I spent like twenty bucks on all of them. You know that wasn't. I'll take it. That's fine. That that seems appropriate. Yeah. 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 It's it's not like I collect you know and got the steel books and four (laughs) Ks and all that. Like it was just like yeah, I bought the seven movie collection for like fifteen bucks so we can binge them all and show my wife. You know. I will say uh, we did most anticipated interested in. Uh, I am, again, like I said earlier, I'm a completionist as well. I am way over the Fast and Furious franchise at this point. I don't care anymore. I haven't for a while, but I can't 
I can't not know what happened, so I keep seeing them. <laughs> so my my least anticipated, my number one least anticipated is Fast X. I don't want to see this movie. I, I vehemently don't want to, but I know, I know, especially because my wife loves them. I know I'm going to see it opening weekend still, and I'm like, just, I'm just like, oh, damn it, just kill it already like stop stop making every every time they make a good one they turn around and make two terrible ones and you're like oh but they haven't made a they haven't made a good one in way way long time (laughs) fast five was the last one i enjoyed hold on hold on hobbs and shaw is my favorite so i know and you're so weird i can't I don't like cars. I don't care about cars. I do care about The Rock. <laughs> Fast, the Fast and Furious franchise was great when it was street racers pulling illegal crimes and trying not to get caught. And the best version of that was Fast Five when they were trying to do a bank heist and The Rock was chasing them. But everything after that, they started working for the CIA and like secret government agencies and they're superheroes. And I'm just like, I'm over this. Look, this isn't the same thing. You've changed everything. Look, I liked, um, I liked when it was more simpler, but they were not better movies. <laughs> Anyway, yes, they were. <laughs> on that note, let's move on. I got something uh, random I want to ask you guys. This, this, they figured this would be a very fun question to ask. Uh, how many pairs of shoes do you own? Let's see, probably like five. Like, do I own or do I regularly wear? No, own. Okay, I got to think I'm like twenty five. Really? Yeah, Dang. I'm oh, at yeah. like four. Yeah, I, wait, f- no, five. I have five. I have dress shoes. Like really nice hiking boots or like outdoor boots. I have like slip on vans, yep. slippers, and regular tennis shoes. That's it. Uh, that's that's my five, <laughs> and then I'm covered. That's everything I could ever need, and I only yeah. really use three of them. Well, I just yeah, I don't use a lot of them necessarily, but but like I do have like specific occasions or whatever. I have a couple pairs of nice shoes, a couple pairs that are like oh, definitely a couple pairs of dress shoes. I think one black and one tan i have a couple pairs of like nicer shoes that like i'll wear for like a date night or something but they're you know so they're in between you know vans and dress shoes and all that a couple pairs of boots i live in iowa so like need boots you know i'm not counting sandals but i think i have a pair of sandals a couple pairs of vans i don't i collected a couple like limited edition pairs and so like i'm never going to get rid of those and then i have a couple pairs sitting up in the closet because I was at a Converse store that was going out of business. And so I got pairs of Converse for like literally 11 bucks. And it was like, wow. you just don't not get those, you know? Yeah. So I have a couple extra pairs that I would be, that I would get from the clearance rack. And then it's just like, whenever my, I currently have like a black pair of Converse with lime laces that I put on there. Like whenever those go out, I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear them until they're, you know, falling apart. It's like, as soon as they're, you know, they don't look good anymore. I'll throw them out, you know, or, or they will be my new mowing shoes, you know? So I have a lot of pairs. I used to be in high school, like one pair of tennis shoes all day, every day for everything. And then I grew up. So, <laughs> and I used to wear them more, but now the only time I leave the house is to go to work or, you know, to go grocery shopping in sweatpants. So I really <laughs> only wear my work shoes and tennis shoes right now. Anyway, I have a good amount of shoes. Anyway, let's move on to the coming attraction. We'll talk about Megan and the old way. Uh, Jacob. Um, would you like to start off with Megan or the old way? How about Megan? All right. <clears throat> Megan is the newest uh, horror movie, right? Yeah. 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 Close enough. January horror movies. Here we go. Okay. Uh, a robotics engineer at a toy company builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. This is coming out this weekend in theaters. Produced by James Wan. Uh, story by James Wan. Uh, starring Allison Williams, Violet McGraw. Uh, Jenna Davis is the voice of Megan. Uh, 
Ronnie Chang, that's an interesting cast here. Um, Arlo Green. Yeah, Megan. <clears throat> Jacob, you picked this first, so Heath, we're going to start with you. Nothing is holding back you back except for your free will to see this movie. Uh, when are you going? Are you going to check it out in theaters? Are you going to wait till you can rent it at home? Wait till it's on the streaming service you already pay for? Or are you just not interested in this movie? I'm going to wait for a streaming service. My only interest with this is that James Wan is related to it and he has this weird way of taking asinine ridiculous concepts and making them into fun horror schlock malignant is a recent example of that that i really enjoyed now he's not directing this so i'm not entirely sure that that kind of fun zany quality will transfer over but at least based on the trailer it looks like there could be a little bit of that but there's no way i'm paying money to see this so yeah if it comes out for free on a streaming service in a few months i'll see it then uh otherwise nah i'm pretty much exactly where you are the james wan thing doesn't pull me as much as it does you know you but it's just it looks like it maybe could go like bonkers in a really cool way in a really fun way yep january horror movies are bad and they're <laughs> typically right and yep. uh any January movie it doesn't have to be horror, but yes, <laughs> fair. But yeah, specifically these ones that get any any horror movie not released in like October, you know, is typically like the studio doesn't believe in them, and so like it's not a good sign. But I don't know. Sometimes there's these really fun ones that are like great to like throw on like and not really watch seriously. Like when I was in college, my girlfriend wanted to watch all the horror movies in theaters, and so I took her to see The Green Inferno, and that was a waste of my time. And I took her to see The Boy, and that was an even bigger waste of my time. And then I took her to see Krampus, and that was fun. <laughs> so I, I feel like this is kind of along the same lines of that, like The Boy or whatever, where it's like, all right, like don't take it too seriously. And look, when it pops up on Netflix, maybe I'll have a good time, you know? So, Jacob, what about you? You know, I'm going to have to go against the grain on this one and say, see it in theaters. All right. And let's hear why. You know, it looks like a fun movie you can take your friends out to. Maybe they've never heard of it. Maybe they've seen the trailer. And it's just kind of like, it's probably not going to be that good. But you can watch it and react to it and laugh about it and have a good time. You know, what else are you going to do in January? It's it's cold. It's, uh, True. you know, not a lot going on. It's, uh, yeah, a good opportunity to go out and have some fun. I When I saw the trailer, I was actually a little bit intrigued. You know, I think that's a really interesting concept to work off of. AI and how terrifying it can be, you know, it's, uh, it's been done probably in better ways than this will be, but I don't know. Yeah. looks fun to me. Yeah. I mean, the trailer looked like it was having fun, right? Like, so I was into it almost like, I feel, I feel pretty much the same way about like smile as I do about this one. I still haven't seen smile, but it was like, what a, what an interesting, not really original concept that could be executed to be pretty fun. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, all right, this looks like this looks like some fun. And I think people genuinely like mildly enjoyed Smile. Like, I don't know that anybody loves it, but I don't know that anybody hated it. So, wow. All right. Well, let's move on to the old way then. Uh, This is a new Nicolas Cage movie. Apparently, even the Internet doesn't know when this movie's coming out. Wikipedia and Google say January 6th. IMDb says the 12th. I'm sure this is one of those like it does something one day and another the other day. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. An old gunslinger and his daughter must face the consequences of his past when the son of a man he murdered years ago arrives to take his revenge. Starring Nicolas Cage and Clint Howard, Abraham Ben Ruby, Nick Searcy, 
Wow, the surprising amount of decent people in here. Okay. Uh, a new Western film. Uh, Jacob, let's start with you this time. Uh, the Old Way. Same scale. Theaters, rent, scream, or skip. Hmm. I'll probably say streaming on this one. Not one I would particularly want to spend money on. You know, I I don't dislike Nicolas Cage, but I'd also never heard of this movie until it was you know mentioned on the podcast. If it shows up on Hulu, it might be a fun watch one one random night just to see. I like westerns. I'm open to any western, so yeah, maybe maybe catch it on the streaming. Okay, Heath, what about you? Uh, not interested. I'm actually not a big western person. I wish I was. I, I just. Uh, for whatever reason, I've I've found that genre to be fairly redundant, and it's hard for it to tackle new ground for me. Uh, that's not to say that it's bad. It's just not my cup of tea. So it really has to be something to stand out to make me want to go see a Western. And uh, one of 70 million Nick Cage films in a year is not going to be it. You know, it, it's, it's just not interesting for me. I'm going to land with Heath again in this one. Not interested. I mean, if anything, the Nick Cage makes me a little bit more like inclined to watch. Um, I don't know that pulling Nick Cage in a Western was going to be the thing that was going to get me to go see it anyway. But <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, the Nick Cage movies that I'm interested in are the like, you know, unbearable ways of massive talent. And the uh, like, I think the role that he has in, into the Spider-Verse is great. I love yeah. Face Off. I yeah. just recently clear, announced that that's getting a 4K transfer. Like, I'm excited about that. Yeah, to be clear, I love Nick Cage. Um, I just, this concept just I, doesn't interest me. So, well, But the, you know, the the problem is there's there's two types of Nick Cage. You know, you have Kick-Ass and you have Season of the Witch. And this is the not good side of that. So, <laughs> yeah. The Nick Cage factor isn't, isn't going to pull me enough into streaming. So, I'm just going to go ahead and say... I don't care. So any other thoughts? All right. Well, let's move on then to the SIF topic. But before we do that, get a chance to get a chance to promote your stuff. Um, so if people want to check out more of what you have to say, uh, where can they find you? Heath, let's start with you. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at the one Heath bar or just search Heath Lynch. Uh, you'll see all the stuff I watch. I watch probably 15 movies a week and I write reviews for every single one of them. You can follow me along as I do my research for the Oscars stuff. That way uh, you can see all the films that I watch to make those articles happen. And then of course, just keep following on Sif pop. You'll see my Oscars articles and other reviews. Nice. And uh, Jake, your stuff. Uh, yeah. I would just mention my letterbox as well. JH Kinman uh, logging uh, everything I'm watching there. And then I'm uh, Jacob underscore Kinman on uh, Twitter and uh, I haven't been on there as much lately, but usually if I have a new article coming out, I'll tweet that out. And there's a link to the site there as well. Cool. A quick reminder that Patreon exists for this show. And uh, I've been uploading um, reviews of movies that have been watching um, like 2022 films. So I think Clerks 3, um, Babylon, Banshees of Inishirin and um, Prey I did reviews for and I'm going to have one done for Avatar The Way of Water here soon so um, if you're interested in full thoughts on that go check it out over there but uh, let's move on to that SIF topic now we'll talk about The Wolf of Wall Street we're going to be spoiling this movie if that wasn't obvious um, like we're going to be able we're going to be able to freely talk about this movie however we so choose so just that that's out of the way synopsis for this movie is uh, it's the story of Jordan Belfort. Um, 
his rise for to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. This is a 2013 Martin Scorsese Best Picture nominee, um, written by Terrence uh, Winter, starring Jonah Hill. Lena, well, sorry, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Also has Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Rob Reiner, Kyle Chandler, John Bernthal, John Favreau, uh, John Jordan, uh, Kristen Milioti. Lots of fun like little itty bitty pieces in this movie a uh, lot a lot of faces that like i didn't recognize in 2013 that now i do uh so uh wolf of wall street uh i want to know real quick uh what is your history with this movie i'll start um i've seen this movie before i saw it in theaters i remember thinking it's fine but i don't really get it i don't really get the love that this movie has but it was fine and so i didn't see it again until this afternoon heath what about you I saw this movie in theaters and I loved it immediately for my very first time viewing it. Um, I've probably seen it a dozen ish times in the almost decade since its release and uh, including just last night. And uh, I still love it. I think it's a great film. Uh, one of Scorsese's better works and uh, a lot of dissection can be gained from it. True. And uh, Jacob, what's your brief history of the movie? I don't think I saw this when it was out in theaters. I probably came around to it a couple of years later on DVD, DVD when I was getting into Scorsese a bit more and trying to watch his filmography. And yeah, I loved it from the very beginning. Loved okay. it. I uh, have probably seen it maybe a dozen times uh, myself. Like Heath said, I just rewatched it twice this week. And uh, it's it might be my favorite Scorsese movie. It's All right. There. <laughs> that's a big claim out of that's a that's a very big claim out of all the like hundreds of movies you could have picked for why why was the reason that you <laughs> wanted to pick this one jacob uh you know i think there's just so much going for it like the performances we almost gained two new actors into the fold with jonah hill and margot robbie with with this movie it was somewhat of a resurgence even for for DiCaprio and sort of bringing him back into the limelight but also just the way the movie shot some of the themes that are going for it the soundtrack like just just so much that you can dive into and really appreciate for me all right so on the like it love it hate it dislike it think it's just okay scale Heath let's start with you where did you land I love this movie. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I've uh, given it a perfect score. It's five out of five for me. Wow. All right. High praise. Uh, Jacob, where do you land? I'm going to have to agree. Yeah. It's a five out of five for me. I love it. All right. Uh, I'm going to be the one to buck the trend. I think this movie's just okay. Probably a high side of just okay. And I feel like you guys are kind of nodding. Like, I understand. And I feel like it's it's hard to like disagree where anybody falls on this movie, right? Uh, I'll... I'll say this, and it's not entirely about this movie in particular, but Scorsese's filmography when regarding CD underworld people and or the gangster lifestyle or whatever, I will never begrudge anyone for not liking any of these movies. They can, they're usually incredibly long, uh, and they usually deal with, I wouldn't even say morally gray characters. These are outright bad characters, people, and you could make a solid argument that almost any of these movies kind of revel in certain moments that they shouldn't. So when someone tells me that they don't like some of Scorsese's work, I'm I get it. You know, I'm not See, gonna 
I really like Scorsese's movies, though. That's the thing. Is like I I love Goodfellas. Um, I think The Departed is my favorite Scorsese, and it's Departed's like in, my favorite as well, actually. Yeah, like it's in my like twenty of all time. You know, I think Departed is the antithesis of what I was just saying. Where again, I I love his crime movies and all these things, but as much as I enjoy them, I do think that sometimes he gets into enjoying some of this debauchery a bit too much and uh, sure. he doesn't in the departed and the departed it's very clear to me that he's never having fun with the people that are on the wrong side of the law and uh he paints a very clear picture of what is right and what's wrong and it could be because he's adapted this script that you know i believe infernal affairs uh from yep might have been korea uh yep. was the original source material so it wasn't something that he really directly came up with like he does with some of his other works although usually his scripts are adapted from a novel or something but still uh this was adapted from another film but uh yeah the departed seems to have for me at least a sense of balance that a lot of these other ones don't sure well i mean and i just wanted to bring that up too to say that i genuinely i generally like scorsese i mean i didn't really care for the irishman um i really like silence i really like hugo um shutter island the Departed, Gangs of New York, um, Casino is really good. Like, I I like the movies he's done. Last Temptation of the Christ. Um, I just I find I, he's significantly more hit than miss for me. But this one was just a, a miss, and partly for the reason that you're talking about. But I, I do want to start off with the positives. I don't typically care about doing that, but I I feel like this movie is at least competently made. So when I say it's okay. I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything like bad about the movie, right? Like it's, it's got really creative cinematography. It's, Oh geez. There's some really interesting editing going on, which is a weird thing to say about a three hour movie that in my opinion, absolutely does not need to be three hours and feels longer. It feels like a five hour movie to me. And in some ways that works, but, uh, but yeah, there's some like interesting edit edit stuff. There's incredible performances uh, all throughout up and down the board. Uh, there's plenty to like about this movie, so I do want to start off with the positives. So, let guys, let's start with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's really good in this role. I remember he was like the front runner to win this year, that year for the Academy Award, right? Like, if it really felt like he was going to win that year, right? Let me go back. I gotta <laughs> try to remember who was nominated. I, I know he got he had a lot of buzz around that time. Yeah, I would think so. Because this movie, um, this movie was a hit. You know, it was popular with audiences. Like it was in the mainstream, so I know that helps yeah. an Oscar campaign a lot. He did yeah, lose. I don't, I don't know if he was the favorite, but he was definitely one of the front runners. Is either him or Chiwetel Ejiofor from Twelve Years a Slave that I remember hearing a lot of. You know, Christian Bale was in there for American Hustle, but that wasn't something that was really lauded. Bruce Dern did a good job in Nebraska, but that was a very under the radar movie that not many people had seen. But this was the mcconaissance uh, and matthew yep. mcconaughey got this for dallas buyers club and that was kind of a shock uh, especially because jared leto also took supporting yeah so uh i i don't think that was really anticipated going into the oscars i do remember that being a bit of a stunner that dallas buyers club got both both acting nom awards well and here's the thing is but i yeah. can't really fault that because they're both great in that movie sure I just remember thinking it really felt like people were saying that Leo was going to win that award. It was almost like, um, you know, we hear about these like lifetime achievement awards and it's like they'll give them to an actor because they got nominated for something recently. And, you know, they really like got passed over when they shouldn't have earlier. You know, 
So like, it really almost felt like one of those for Leo. Like, hey, like, sure, you, you've earned it. Let's just give it to you for Wolf of Wall Street. Like, it really kind of felt like that's how it was going into it. And I still think... I, I don't know if... I mean, I could I could kind of see that. I could kind of see that to a degree. But I don't think Leo was truly in the, oh, he just deserves one at this point. No, like, no, no. We'll get him to... Like, I don't think... I, I think, if anything, it was the Wolf of Wall Street and him not winning that, fi- that finally put him in the, oh, now he just deserves one camp. And at some point, we're going to get him one. Maybe. But going, but going into this one, I don't think that that was the case i still lean back onto he lost out in 2012 for best supporting actor for jingle unchained he was not nominated really i thought he Mm -hmm. was no his nominations his first one was in 94 was a supporting for what's eating gilbert grape okay right and then after that it was all best actor and never got a supporting nom again he was nominated for the aviator and then he was nominated for blood diamond nominated for wolf of wall street he won for the revenant and nominated again for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he was never okay. nominated for Django. Yeah, okay, well, I I thought he was because I just remember thinking like I I would have picked him to win Best Supporting Actor for that role, definitely over Christoph Waltz, who was great in that film. But mm. um, Leo's doing something really special in that one. So anyway, I just I, I so I guess you're right. It almost feels like this is propelling him. So I just I remember the narrative being Leo's going to win the Oscar this year, and he didn't. And I remember at the time being like, he's kind of just playing a guy, and he's he's good, but I definitely saw something special this time. I, I don't begrudge the the pick to choose McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club over this movie, because that was a, also incredible performance. But yeah, I, I definitely kind of... too, for like the five minutes he was in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely see the nomination here, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, in I've general, all, I feel I've like always... that's a relatively weak like lineup i mean chiwetel g4 and 12 years late also great you know definitely in the running there too yeah i i personally wanted chiwetel uh to win um that year but yeah i uh i will say and this is always the weird thing about oscars because when you take a look back at someone's career you can say oh someone deserved to win for this or they actually won for that like when i look back now like the revenant's a fine movie i i was never in love with it like some people are, but I, yep. I think it's fine, but he's not even the best performance in that movie. I think right. Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy is a, better than Leo and not even by a little bit, like by leaps and bounds. And it kind of is a bummer to me that Leo's win is for the Revenant and not Wolf of Wall Street, which I think is a much better performance or not. And again, we didn't know this was coming at the time, but I think once upon a time in Hollywood is probably his best acting performance he's ever done. But I'll still give it to Jane Unchained, but sure. But both of those are in, end up as nominations and not as as a win. But I I think he's way better here in Wolf of Wall Street than he ever was in The Revenant. I think I think he's doing stuff here that is incredibly impressive. Yeah, he's he's playing the the petulant spoiled man child and his having his you know cocaine orgies and all that. But you know, like I I don't want to downplay the 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 sense of like deflation that he shows towards the end of the movie where he sees his life crumbling down and there's like nothing he can do to stop it or how he's the like naive bug-eyed kid at the beginning of the film just starting out on wall street not knowing what the hell he's doing or even like although the scene is played for laughs and i definitely laugh my ass off when he's like rolling around on the ground Uh because of those lemon quaaludes that he that is some incredible body acting physicality that a lot of people frankly probably couldn't do and 
he is tremendous in that scene and he is so funny and so he's pulling off drama here he's pulling off comedy i mean he's he's doing it all in a uh, a role that i i think is arguably one of his best and definitely better than the revenant but i don't know just... that I'll, i've only seen the revenant one time when it came out too so i don't know that i'll say i, I don't know that i'm ready to make that statement but yeah I'll, i'm definitely willing to say it's one of his best the uh <laughs> he's good in the revenant i'm not saying he's not good i'm just i think he's definitely that, better here that lemons quaalude scene just was the one scene that i really remembered well one of the only scenes i remembered from this movie mm-hmm. like like vividly some of the other ones might involve margot robbie but you know it's fine. I was I was 18 when this movie came out, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Jonah Hill's also great in this movie. Yes, he is. Incredible. He, he was Just nominated. A years after yeah, nominated yeah. for um he was nominated for Moneyball. So, uh this is definitely his uh rise to critical success status. It's it's his it's the I feel like this movie is his tr- like finalization of his transformation, right? Cuz like you know, he started off doing like super, super bad, bad and, right? Yeah. He's su- super bad, and you know some of those other like Judd Apatow, you know, type movies. Um, but yeah, then he does Moneyball out of nowhere. But then yeah, here he's starting to get skinny. He's like, man, it's it's weird because he still has goofball like humor here uh, because he's supposed to be like a super drugged out person, you know. But but yeah, I would say this would be like okay, he's no longer super bad kid anymore, like officially. So. Yeah, yeah, even his role in Moneyball, the first one he got nominated for, is still kind of Jonah Hill esque. Yeah, it feels it feels like the kid from Superbad grew up and started working for the Athletics. Kind of. So yeah, I think feel like this is really his major, major dramatic breakthrough because you have that comedic side that he's so great at, but you see the darkness in Donnie's character, and you see what drives him to follow Jordan and sure. just be completely debaucherous. So. Yeah, it's one of my favorite performances by him. Can can we get into why I really don't like this movie? I don't. Well, again, I think it's okay. Yeah, let's let's jump <laughs> around. We can do likes, dislikes, who cares? Well, and here's the thing: is I I feel like I'm willing to like land somewhere different by the end of our camp conversation. But the big thing, both times that I've saw this movie that I've ended with, is I just can't figure out why does this movie exist? What is the point of telling this story? So. I mean, obviously, I'm not Martin Scorsese. I, I I don't know why he decided to adapt this novel, this autobiography. But the impression that I've always gotten is that throughout American history in particular, street crime has, or blue-collar crime, whatever you want to call it, has been say, seen as the, the, the bane of our existence. And the reason why our country is collapsing and it's portrayed that way in the news and in media and, and, you know, the war for crime on the streets and all these things. And, uh, Scorsese has taken his shot at some of those things in the past with his gangster movies, but I think he wanted to do something a little different here and to say that, no, it's not just street crime or, you know, the mob that you need to look out for white collar crime can be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous because it's hurting more people. It's, you know, taking millions away from the economy. It's destroying lives on a level that, you know, not saying that, not trying to really compare, but to compare, like, you know, a mob guy kills, you know, in some of his movies, maybe, you know, 10 to 20, 30 people in a movie. That's terrible. But Jordan Belfort in real life, not one of the fictional mob characters in some of those other movies, but in real life, destroyed 
thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives through Stratton Oakmonts and all the money they siphoned away from people and how they manipulated stocks. And uh, I see it a lot as, uh, although this movie came out later, the big short, uh, which came out two years after, I see these movies as kind of companion pieces. And I've actually watched them back to back as a double feature before, because I think they very much speak to the same message, which is these people, these white collar criminals are taking advantage of us. They're manipulating the system. They're skirting by laws. They're doing everything they can to make your life in the middle class or lower class absolutely hell and they're getting away with it and not only they're getting away with it they're reveling in it they love it they're not ashamed they're they're not embarrassed you know like they say in the big big short at one point he's like he's he's not confessing he's bragging you know like that's what this is this is this is scorsese shining a light on these people are a problem too and it needs to be addressed that's the way i've always taken okay i buy into that and i and i I see that and I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think this is Scorsese's way of saying, I'm going to make another crime movie, but show you a different side of crime. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm buying that. Jacob, what, why, why does this movie exist? I mean, for me, I totally agree with everything that Heath said. And that's, that's all really important. I don't know. I, th- I think you need, sometimes you need a movie that you can just get whacked over the head with and like take it all in and sort of just feel the excess of it and feel the, the bombastic nature of it, you know, especially as a theater experience. I, like I said, I didn't get to have that myself, but I can imagine just the blaring music and all the different uh, music changes throughout the scenes. And, you know, you remember the marching band walk, going through the office and just all these crazy, insane scenes. And it's like, outside of any thematic or any sort of lesson that we're supposed to learn from it, I just like movies that take your breath away like that, that absolutely just whack you over the head, like I said. So that would be my reason. Also, regardless of whether or not you agree with what a movie's doing, I think just witnessing a good, a really, really good performance like Leo's, you can take at least something away from that, you know, and just letting that wash over you and sort of appreciating the actor that he is. Sure. I just... I, I just kept thinking the whole time this movie was going on is why why did Scorsese, you know, this this director who's already achieved everything he could want to, you know, he already won his directing Oscar for The Departed, you know, he's he's already got all these accomplishments. Why would he want to make a movie like this? And what is this movie saying? Because I remember the first time I saw it, I was just like, it's 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 another movie that shows the dangers of drug addiction. Well, we have a million movies that could show that. Uh, but also like a million, you know, real life people we know that could show that, you know, I just I saw dangers of drug addiction, dangers of excess and the like all like that. Also, that message of kind of knowing when to quit and and what happens if you don't quit at them. So I just I, that was the first time I saw it. this time. Like, I, I think I still kind of saw the same things, but I, I, it still just left me kind of thinking that everything was relatively surface level here and like that's fine because like I had fun while watching the movie but yeah I ultimately couldn't couldn't bring myself to be like why why did this movie necessarily I was thinking about this at the end and why does this movie exist and and the way that the movie is portrayed and framed and all that and I think I'm more interested in this movie if it's from the Kyle Chandler's character's perspective like and I don't I don't know if that's a bad take, but like he still gets a chance to highlight that white collar crime. But like, have we have I, we? I'm going to disagree with you there. Like so I'm going to disagree with you there, just because 
I, I think Scorsese, I mean, again, he diverts slightly here and there, but on the most part, Scorsese's filmography is about a deconstruction and examination of crime and how crime festers, how crime expands and the different traits of the mm. criminal mind that mm. allows that festering expansion. You can look at something like, you know, Taxi Driver, where it's about the loneliness of an individual feeling rejected by society who wants desperately to fit in. Or The Irishman, where it's someone that wants to hold on to the good old days and just wants to feel connected to a larger family of some sort, even if he's not the one making the shots. He just wants to feel like the like, like the good times roll. Or The Departed is the duality between what criminals say they do and what they actually do in the mirror of, you know, am, am I a criminal on the outside or in the inside or so on and so forth. Every Scorsese movie has been some kind of dissection about crime. And I think that's what Wolf of Wall Street is, is yeah, he's done drugs before and, and greed, but it's specifically because it's white collar drugs and greed. It's, it's avarice on a level that Scorsese has never portrayed. Again, it, the, the amount of, it, it's hard to put it in perspective, especially, you know, I, I am a middle class schlub. <laughs> like I, the amount of money I will make in my lifetime will never even come close to the kind of money that is portrayed in this movie. And it's sometimes difficult to comprehend how large that number is. But the crimes that Jordan did were so astronomically higher financially, monetarily than like the crimes of almost all of his other characters in his other movies. They're just not on the same level. And I think that's what he's trying to say is you think these mobsters are greedy. You think these gangsters are bad. You have no idea. Like all of those things are still true, but this is even worse. And I'm going to show you exactly what crime and greed truly looks like in the hands of people that don't resort to violence and have substantial resources at their disposal. And that's what this is to me. And I think, again, when you talk about the deconstruction of crime in Scorsese's catalog, this is an angle of crime, an examination of an aspect of crime that he had not touched before. The, you don't really see this in Goodfellas. You don't see it in The King of Comedy. You don't see it in Raging Bull, Irishman, Taxi Driver, Departed, nothing like that. This is, this is white-collar crime at a high, high level. And in that regard, I, there, I, I mean, you could say that there's things like the movie wall street, but that was fictional. This is based on a true right. story. You know, like how many movies are there that depicts white collar greed, avarice mixed with crime to this degree. And that it's based off true events that adds a lot more weight to it. You know, again, now you could say the big short, but at the time this was made, right. We didn't well, at the, right. Coming up to 2013. Yeah. That had been so pretty much. I, an anomaly. I think, I think it was an important story to be told and one that frankly, people need to, take more heed to and still remember to this day that that this is a much bigger problem with our country and society at large, even outside of our country than, you know, someone smoking weed on the corner, <laughs> you know, like oh, that, was, that was one of the other things I was thinking about is like, I don't know that this movie like wants me to be like mad that Jordan essentially gets away with everything. But like, I am mad that he gets away. Oh, with it. But I think, but I think absolutely I'm, wants you to be mad. But, but I feel like the way that the movie frames it at the end, like, cause I was thinking about this, like 30 minutes left to the end. And I'm just like, he is such an unredeemable person. And I <laughs> knew 
you know, he, he essentially gets away with it all. And I was just, you know, thinking to myself, like, what, like, to me, this is, um, like, I know Aaron Dicer's talked about it a lot. Like, he doesn't like Scor- the Scorsese gangster movies because it, it portrays. It glorifies. It, it glorifies them. Lifestyle. To, me, to yeah. me, I thought this was a glorification. But, but yeah, but yeah there's that. There's the ending where he's like, you know, and then I went to some prison in Nevada, but then I, but I forgot I'm rich and it shows him playing tennis. Mm. And like, I feel like that's the moment where the movie wants me to be mad. Um, but also like he's fined one hundred ten million dollars and given 36 months in prison. But it's like he's he deserves far more than that. And that's yeah. just and that's just for the white collar crimes. That's not also, you know, all the drug charges you want to count him on. And I mean, domestic abuse. Yep, of like, course. And and but it was also one of those things where I w- I was so conflicted after watching this movie because I was just like Jordan Belfort is making money off of this movie's existence, you know, like he has to get. Well, and the know. thing is, if if you've actually looked into it, he hasn't paid back hardly any of that fine that he owes still mm. to this day. Uh, it's it's not even close, and he's never going to. But uh, yeah, no, you're you're not supposed to like him. That that's very. I think that's very clearly the point. I think by the end of this movie. Scorsese wants you to be pissed and like recognize these awful things happen. These terrible people exist. And for the most part, they're getting away with it. They're, you know, he spent three years in jail playing tennis and now he does a book tour where like, yeah, you can see in his face, he hates his life in terms of what it's become. He would much rather be partying with hookers and doing blow. Sure. And he can't do that anymore. Like you can see it in Leo's eyes, but like at the same time, like you don't feel bad for him because he's still, like you said, right. an irredeemable piece of trash. Like I feel it, he's I a feel horrible like was... human being, and I, you know, he deserves far worse than having to do promotional book tours and having to do inspirational speeches and sales lessons. I feel like there was only one moment before the ending that made that the movie made me want to like not root for them, and it's where his first wife says like, "Why don't you steal from the rich instead of these people that actually can't afford it." Yeah, but like it, until the ending, the movie doesn't really care about to me uh, about like actually showing the consequences um, and actually showing you know actually depicting Jordan's life as hell. You know, like yeah, not you know, not necessarily a criticism of the life, but yeah, like I definitely felt like with the last specifically five or ten minutes, the movie wants you to be mad that he gets away with everything. But but yeah, it was it was yeah. one of those that just made me. I, I, like I, I was, I was comparing this to. Um, I was talking with my wife, comparing it to another Leo role, um, Catch Me If You Can, and I feel like that also based off a true story. Like I care more about that story, especially because not. at the end, like I legitimately believe that Frank Abagnale is a reformed person and he does good, and there is change, and and he goes on to yeah to to actually be a good person, but. It, it, look, it's it's not but the movie I think that, that is, also goes not, along with part of the theme that Scorsese's do, playing yes, with here, which I is agree, some I people agree. are irredeemable. Like you know, uh, we were talking about Star Wars earlier, you know, uh, and how how Rise of Skywalker sucks. You know, I I was one of the people that I wanted Kylo Ren to stay bad. I wanted him to be the ultimate bad guy. I think that would have been a great lesson in Star Wars that some people are irredeemable because we didn't get that lesson with Vader. Vader, you know, at the last minute flipped and he helped defeat the Emperor. You know, like. And that would have been an interesting path for that franchise to go down that, no, some people are irredeemable and you have to deal with the consequences of those changes. You know, I think that's what Scorsese is playing with here. I, the idea of, no, some people are just garbage human beings and they are a menace to society and are corrupting our culture and our economy and 
sometimes you have to exercise them and break them out of the system because yeah, if, as long as they keep going, they will keep being a detriment to everyone in their wake. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, you're not supposed to like them. Right. And I, I like that they're, they're playing with that idea of no, some people are just garbage. All right. So I'm, I'm starting to respect the movie the more that we're talking about it, but I'm, I'm not changing my enjoyment. It's, it's still way too long. Jacob, you've been, it's been a while since you've uh, talked. What do you so yeah, that I was going to build on what Heath was just saying. The incredible thing that this movie does for me is that yes, he's done all these terrible things. He's, committed so many crimes and ruined lives yet you still find a way to kind of root for him i think with this movie with the narration really helps with that him breaking the fourth wall and sort of letting the audience into his world it's if you take the right not the right but a certain mentality with watching this movie it's almost like you're living vicariously through him you're becoming jordan belfort and i think that's really the only way this movie works is finding yourself on his side regardless of all the people that he's screwing over i think about that scene where he's turning the 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 company into stratton oakmont and giving the script out to all of these new brokers and he's got this guy on the phone and you're you're like there's an anticipation building for it and you almost want jordan to screw this guy over just just i don't know there's a sense of camaraderie about it with these ragtag group of guys and then that, of course, explodes into um, the, the lifestyle that he builds in a short time after when Stratton, Stratton Oakmont blows up. But yeah, I think you can hold both ideas in your head. Maybe some people might have a hard time with that, but I can anyways. Just to to understand like how bad of a person Jordan Belfort was, but also ex- experience this lifestyle through his eyes in a way that you, you could understand how somebody could get so wrapped up in it. And you can understand sure. the appeal of it. So I, th- I think that's just the brilliant dichotomy that the film portrays. Sure. And I, I want to mention one more thing that I think is interesting that you guys had touched on is this movie, more than other Scorsese movies, does the transition to crime. And what I mean by that is like sure. in Raging Bull or Goodfellas is great. Goodfellas is a better example. Henry Hill, right from the beginning of the movie, literally the first lines. I've always dreamed of being a gangster. Like <laughs> ever since I was young, I wanted to be a gang. Like that, there, there's no, there was no time in which this was a good person. You know, yeah. most of his m- movies are, nope, these are just bad people. They were always bad people. We're documenting their life and more doing a character study. This is a character study that's really evolved around the evolution of a person who was good, who was pure and innocent and went into it with the pro like the Jordan Belfort at the beginning of this movie is not the same Jordan Belfort at this, the end of this movie. And it's not even close. He went in wanting to follow the rules. Uh, He took his time doing all the, the tests and the, the requirements that he needed to get a series nine. So he could be a wall street broker. You know, you even said like, you kind of are still on his side when his wife is like, Hey, why don't you do this to rich people? Why do you do it to the, you know, the little guy? And you're like, Oh yeah, that makes more sense. And even at that point, he's still not breaking the law, like he's pushing dicey stocks, but there's nothing illegal about that. He's allowed to do that. It's later in the movie that he starts building rat holes for himself, where he starts secretly owning stock and manipulating stock prices and the IPO offering and all these things that like, 
he's actually a criminal and doing wire fraud and illegal money transfers across, you know, border lines and all that. But like Jordan at the beginning of this movie, is just a wide eyed kid just wanting to like take care of himself and his wife. And I think that's also part of what makes this movie interesting is you're seeing the collapse of like a person's soul. Like you're seeing someone that started out on the right path, completely lose his way. And he didn't even see it coming. Like he, he got so swept up in it that he, he didn't even realize he was doing it until he was way too far into it. And then he's like, oh yeah, now I just embrace it. And I love this life and I can take all the drugs I want and I can have sex with all the women I want and do whatever I want. But like, and I think that the, that like it's a, it's a very, it's a very quick, I think the movie is very intentional about that because like one scene, you know, he's, he's doing the, no, I don't drink. I'm only, I'll only have water. And then it's like, literally the next scene is like, I'm doing quaaludes to, for my mm-hmm. back pain. And then, you know, and then I'm doing this, this, he lists a ton of drugs. Like it's a, it's a super quick transition. I think the movie is intentional and in just showing like, how quick Jordan turns from good and well-intentioned to a bad person. And then once he's yep. bad, he just continues to be bad. And and then you're less focused on the other things because he just did something more outrageous or, you know, at least he's not this other person that we're seeing, you know, like even, even look, Jordan's a bad, terrible person, but even more like that, that Jonah Hill character is, is just as irredeemable. Yeah. Even to the end where they're just like, we will still cover you. We will still do whatever we can like to, to get you out to, you know, so you don't have to sell your house or whatever. Like they're equally terrible people. Well, maybe not equally. I don't know. Jordan's more of an instigator, but yeah. So I'd like to get into a little bit more of, of what I do like. So beyond uh, Leo, uh, I think the acting throughout this movie is tremendous. This is one of the most fun ensemble performances you'll ever see. Uh, Leo is great. Jonah Hill is great. Uh, Margot Robbie burst onto the scene with this movie. This was her coming out party in a big way. And she's been an A-list talent pretty much since this over the last decade. Uh, again, the, although Dallas Buyers Club was uh, the, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of the reconnaissance in terms of him getting the accolades and all that, this was a part of it. Uh, his like little humming chest beating thing is still something that people joke about and do. You can find people doing that just in life. <laughs> like, well, and uh, the the memes that have come out of this movie, yeah. you know, the, those are rookie numbers. You got to put yeah, you yeah, them up. You know, but I, I, you know, people quote this movie all the time. It's incredibly quotable. Some of the one liners here are incredible zingers. Uh, the supporting cast around it: John Bernthal's great in here. Rob Reiner as his uh-huh. dad is hilarious. Uh, Kristen uh-huh. Milioti, who so funny. I'll admit I didn't know at the time, but I love her now because Palm Springs last year was tremendous, and she was a big part of that. You know, like there's. This ensemble cast is great. Scorsese's direction is fantastic. I actually think he's doing some of his best work here in terms of working with this large ensemble cast, some of his framing work and camera movement. I love the shot of the bullpen in Stratton Oakmont when the IPO goes live and you just see this camera like swing in and dive and fly over the bullpen and just all these different unique shots that he has going on throughout this film. I think that the editing is really sharp. I don't mind that this movie is three hours. I see this kind of as a relentless roller coaster of a film. To me, it doesn't feel like three hours. Obviously, Aaron, to you, it feels much different. Uh, but I think this is yeah, incredibly, well, <laughs> incredibly well edited. I even think that the soundtrack that Scorsese places throughout this movie is incredibly hilarious. Yeah. Like when 
their ship goes underwater uh, and is broadsided by a huge wave. It starts playing an Italian version of Gloria, and it just cracks me up. the The movie has a lot of subtle humor like that, and and yeah, it definitely revels in the debauchery. It revels in watching these guys be absolute jackasses, but there is humor to that. I love the lemon quaalude scene. I'm not going to lie. It is funny as hell watching Leo roll around on the ground like that and trying to wrestle with Jonah Hill or seeing Leo do that outrageously stupid dance at his wedding. And yep. just like, there's a lot of movie or a lot of, a lot of moments in this movie where you can just laugh your ass off. It's an incredibly yeah. fun and entertaining film. So there is a lot that I really love about it. And I wanted to make sure that, said some of that before we moved on yeah i know yeah obviously like this is scorsese's funniest movie by far um you know and then the, in the scene where where jonah hill you know pulls out his wiener and starts jank- yanking it tomorrow like she's <laughs> oh, perfect wow. that was hilarious uh i remember losing it in the theater <laughs> when i saw it in 2013 yeah but it was the there's there's a lot to love here i, I do still think it feels really long but it's, there's tr- they're trying to cram so much in because like i paused the movie at one point and uh like to to get up and go to the bathroom or something like that and i thought it was like an hour and a half hour 40 into it and it was hour and 12 minutes and i was like what so it, i was just like this insane that there's been so much covered already so but yeah the you mentioned a lot of things i agree with a lot of the a lot of the cast is is great here yeah, oh, yeah. he's terrific the <laughs> rob reiner almost steals the movie <laughs> McConaughey's in it for 10 minutes and you love every second that he's in it and all that. Yep. Uh, but that entire cast of his just group of schlubs that he starts Stratton Oakmont with crack me up every time, you know, like, and you even get, got a little bit of Ethan Suppley in there and some scenes. Uh, you get the one scene with Thomas Middleditch getting fired. That's a fun cameo. Yeah. 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 The guy who plays Kupferberg who sells meat and weed cracks me up every single time. Like, I don't know what else I've seen him in, but he's, yeah, he's just hilarious. Oh, yeah, I didn't recognize him. Henry, Henry Zabrowski, I think his name is. It is. Let's see what else he's been in. Dirty Grandpa. Looks like a lot of Adult Swim stuff. Oh, okay. Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Um, yeah, all elementary, right. Elementary, I guess. Anyway, I um, the other thing I wanted to point out, and I guess this was mainly my comment earlier about how I almost want it to be more focused on the FBI investigation i think i retract that now i mean the more we've talked about this like i said the more we talk the more i respect this movie the and i and i will say that the entertainment value is in him being stupid part of the film is that how did this moron this idiot of a man (laughs) pull this off because like really he's quite stupid his friends are even way dumber than him like so how did he do this like if we see that from the fbi's angle we don't get we don't understand you know and i and sure. I do think that there have been other movies that have kind of done it from the FBI's angle where it's sure, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we're trying to catch the bad guys and seeing it from this perspective, I, I think works better. I just yeah, I, I love the scene. My favorite scene in the movie is the yacht scene. Oh, when he invites him onto the yeah. yacht. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. But I'm just yeah. trying to think, like, if you take this movie and you frame it from Kyle Chandler's pr- perspective and the only and the first time he ever meets Jordan Belfort is that yacht scene and everything plays out the exact same. Like. That's one of those Leo could be on the screen for eight minutes and get that supporting actor nominee like nomination and probably win. You know, it's like that. That's such a good scene. That's such a cleverly written scene. That's such a I love when even Kyle Chandler's great. That scene. <laughs> right. 
but the whole like the way that he kind of plays around the way they kind of dance around and uh i love the i love how the movie kind of ends with him you know riding his shitty bus with his three-day-old clothes and he you know it just kind and of no shows one that. cares no one and the world hasn't and, changed after right. he made this big you know but but he's contented like you he almost he almost goes what is it all worth but like he knows he does good you know so yeah yeah, I, I actually like, think I kind he of like the look that he he almost questions himself there uh, after after Jordan had gotten into his head about you know because he even said that earlier he's like what you you catch all these guys and like the next day no one cares you haven't changed anything and he, and he's seeing that play out he finally caught this guy and you know he's going to jail for three years and he owes millions of dollars back to the people and he's supposed to help and like no one cares right. the, the world hasn't you know it's no different. But in reality, it's incredibly different. And, you know, whether people see it or not or are impacted by it on a, a daily basis, it, it was a big deal that he caught him. But, yeah, it it is kind right. of if you watch that scene back, there's a little bit of no. defeat in Kyle Chandler's eyes there. It's I saw I saw defeat at first, but like, yeah, because he's on the he's on the subway. He's reading the article and literally nobody cares. But but yeah, I almost just I almost just saw I, I still kind of saw. But like. I still almost saw like nobody cares, but they should, and somebody's got to, right? So, yeah. I, what I will say to the it's too long uh, point again for me, I think it's fine. I I I enjoy this. Uh, it's such a f- quick, edited, uh, fast paced thrill ride that the three hours goes by real fast to me. But if you were to cut stuff out, the transition from when they start Stratton Oakmont and are already succeeding to when the investigation starts and Kyle Chandler really gets into the movie some of that could be cut out yeah because that's where the movie really revels in excess and it just lets jordan be debaucherous for a good like 30 minutes 45 minutes before kyle really shows up on the scene and the and that leads that leads to the actual plot of the movie and like them trying to hide the money and doing all these things and eventually it all comes tumbling down but uh if you were to trim stuff it would be in some of that access but again that's that's where part of the entertainment comes as well. So it's, right. it's a trade off. But for me, I, I enjoy it. I, it was one of my favorite films of that year. I, I, again, just everything about it, the, from the cast, the, especially the performances from Leo, Jonah and Margot. I think Scorsese's doing great work. I think the editing is great. Uh, Jacob, you're talking about like the scene where he's teaching them the pitch and they have the script and then it's, super cuts to all of them doing the same mm-hmm. speech on the script and all of them calling themselves the senior vice president. <laughs> and it's, just, it's edited so smartly. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, like just it, it, everything about the movie, I I find so entertaining. And I, I think it's one of Scorsese's more clear messages of, of this. Yeah, this may seem like a fun lifestyle, but you are hurting so many people in the process and inevitably your world will come tumbling down. This is never going to work out. You're better off not doing this, even if it seems fun in the moment. And I, I think it's very clear. A couple of fun things I wanted to point out are some cameos. Uh, some people might already know them. The more obvious one is Jordan Belfort himself is in this movie uh, at the end of the film. Uh, when Leo is going on stage to, give his sales uh, TED talk, so to speak. He is introduced by a man and that man is Jordan Belfort himself. (laughs) He is calling himself onto the stage as Leo. Um, So that's Jordan, uh, the man who introduces Leo at the end of the movie. Also the editor of this film, who is Thelma Schoonmaker, 
edits every single one of Martin Scorsese's movies. She was the judge in this movie that sentenced. Oh, nice. Uh, she's got the kind of wiry black hair. Isn't that Fran Leibowitz? Huh? I think it is. I'm pretty sure that's Fran Leibowitz. No, Thelma Shoemaker. As, as the judge, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, wasn't it? I, I could be wrong. I uh, I might have to fact check you on that. Because okay. Fran Leibowitz is also a uh, contributor of, of Scorsese's and makes some cameos in his movies. Okay. then th- but, That is who I'm thinking of, though. But yeah, she's in... She does a lot of work with Scorsese behind the scenes, and uh, she's usually in some of his movies to some degree or another. And uh, I think you are correct, though. It's it's Fran. So I I was mistaken there. But yeah, so those are some fun cameos. One of Scorsese's best friends, and then Jordan himself. (laughs) Yeah, of course, uh, Spike Jonze as the the guy, uh, the Penny Stocks guy. Runs Investa Center. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it's called. No, Spike yeah. Jones. Yep, I will get. I will personally your dick if you get get a ten thousand dollar commission. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And cool. He says something like, "I hope it happens." Yeah, I hope it happens. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm pretty much done. I I like I said, I've respected this movie the more we've talked about it. I I still I still gonna have my gripes, and I, I biggest gripe is I still think it could be shorter. But yeah, I'm glad I saw it again. It's just one of those that like my wife was like my wife did not enjoy watching this movie and i didn't think she would she was really into the first like hour though but yeah i was uh i told her i'm like yeah i saw it once in theaters and like i kind of get it like there's i don't you you said you've seen this movie like eight times like both of you it's like i this is like maybe a once every 10 year kind of movie for me you know well, i've i've probably seen this 12 to 15 times I, I yeah easily now now i I don't see it as often as I did when it first came out, probably from 2013 to 2017. I watched this maybe every six months, but nowadays every couple of years, but yeah, no, I've seen this a lot. It's, it's fun. Cool. Well, that is one uh, movie off my checklist. We'll move on to the B B plot now. So we're going to do a best ever challenge. I thought uh, Foster suggested top five actors who have never won an Oscar. And I thought since we had, as we previously alluded to the Wolf of wall street, uh, this was one of those, I, again, I thought front runner was Leo that year. I knew there was a little bit of love for uh, McConaughey as well and Chiwetel Four, but um, I do think Leo was the front runner, though. Right. Well, and then as soon as as soon as this movie came out and he didn't win, then he was definitely one of the like. Then it was oh, like, oh, now time. he needs to. Yep, he needs to right. win a bit. So <laughs> I figured, in honor of that, let's talk about five top five actors who never won an Oscar. You guys made sure to specify and say uh, actors. We will specifically talk about actresses another time. Because that's a whole separate list that we, I, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to leave people off of either list because, you know, for the sake of, of all that. So five actors never won an Oscar. We'll go number five to number one. Trump rules with honorable mentions, all that. So if you have it higher, play the Trump card and we will talk about it when whoever has it the highest. Uh, we're going to go in the order that I see on my screen. So we will go Jacob Heath and then me. Your number five, Jacob. Okay, at number five, I have the consummate actor known as Edward Norton. He has... Uh... All right, so I am going to trump that. Okay, I figured so. Oh, okay. Heath, who do you have at number five? I have Tom Cruise at number five. I so oh, so badly thought about it. Uh, He's in my so, honorable mentions, yeah. So, uh, Tom Cruise, I know that nowadays it may be weird to think of Tom Cruise as an Academy Award winning actor because 
for pretty much the last, easily the last decade, if not the last 20 years, he's only really made action movies, which great and are some of the best action movies you could ever see between, you know, some of these mission impossibles edge of tomorrow, the new top gun, all that. Uh-huh. But, uh, He's actually an incredibly talented actor who's been nominated for several Academy Awards in the past. Frankly, I, I I don't know if it's too late. I'm I'm almost wondering if the Academy might. I don't think he'd win, but might give him a nomination even for Top Gun Maverick. I wouldn't be shocked to see that. I wouldn't uh, either. I sure hope so. That'd be cool. I think it'd be. I think he was fantastic in it. But uh, you know, between Collateral, uh, Rain Man, Magnolia. You know, the color of money he's had performances that are some of the best uh that you could see gone on, born on the fourth of july he was tremendous in that movie and it, it's a real bummer that i i think his chances are gone i think he's just at a time in his life and in the point of his career where he doesn't want to do the more serious introspective character studies or dramas that would lead to more potential oscar nominations in the first place but man, the guy's really good, and uh, and uh, he probably should have had an Oscar by now. But I don't think he'll get one at this point. It's a bummer. Well, but I almost even question like, why can't we give him an Oscar for Mission Impossible? You know, like nobody else oh. can do what Tom Cruise does right now. You know, yeah. so like I don't, I don't think they're going to give dis- it to him. I don't but- disagree on the idea. Like I I love the following the Academy Awards and Oscars. It, Clearly, I write a monthly series about it for the website, but it, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that the Oscars have biases towards genre. Right, right. They, you know, they they don't like genre fair. They don't right. like fantasy. They don't like horror. They don't like action. They don't like these things. They want your their dramas, their indie films, and especially in the last you know ten to fifteen years, and and that's fine because those are some are where some tremendous films are made. I but yeah, I. As much as I think he could probably deserve one, uh, I don't think he would ever get one for those kind of movies, unfortunately. I agree. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, I, I love to imagine a world where Tom Cruise gets nominated for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, you know? Especially this year, uh, you know, of all the acting categories, I think Best Actor uh, is kind of light this year. You know, you, you, you definitely have three that I, I think are going to be there. Brendan Fraser uh Frazier for the whale is going to be nominated for sure you know austin butler for elvis colin farrell for the banshees of inishiran but those other two spots are kind of up in the air and it'd be kind of nice if tom got one for top gun maverick i, could I really think he's gonna get one yeah i i could see it happening maybe bill nighy for uh living but uh uh yeah i don't know if that'll count for this award season i'm not sure but um, but yeah, so anyway. Tom, Tom Cruise is my five. Uh, all right. So I had Ed, Ed Norton at five too. Yeah. Nice. I mean, he's obviously become like a complicated person in Hollywood, but like the dude's got talent. I mean, like his first big, his mm-hmm. first role was primal fear and he was nominated for that. And he's so good in that. And then like, he does uh, a few movies and then he's in American history X, which I'm like, how do you not give him the award for American history X? Uh, I agree. You, I mean, He's great in Rounders. That's not really an Oscar movie, but like he's you know, same thing for Fight Club. Like that's that's an Oscar nominated performance, you know, to mm-hmm, me. So mm-hmm. you get significantly less of those as you get more of his uh, filmography. You know, he he kind of tried to do that. You know, like Italian Job, Kingdom of Heaven, Illusionist kind of thing, Incredible Hulk. Kind of went more blockbuster in the in the two thousands, and then he did some Wes Anderson stuff. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I love then, the stuff he does in, in Wes Anderson movies. He's so great. And then he Moon, just Moonrise Kingdom and Isle of Dogs, Grand Budapest Hotel. And then and then just in general, a lot of people stopped casting him because he was a problem on set. So and then you get Glass oh, Onion, and look, he's not not an Oscar nominated performance for Glass Onion, um, but it's fun. Yeah, but like I'm I, like I'm specifically thinking like that early Primal Fear American History X Fight Club. Like that's oh no, I agree. Yeah, he did get nominated cool. for Birdman in 2014, right. I believe, which I thought was a really good performance, and is also kind of meta because he is portraying this person who is difficult to work with, and I that you have to think there's a little bit of tongue in cheek there. Yeah, I mean, so, same with Glass Onion. He's he's playing. Yeah, true. He's playing both himself and Elon Musk. But yeah, all right. Number four is Jacob. Who do you got for number four? Okay, number four, I selected. A old school actor that has actually never been nominated for an Oscar, Peter Lorre. Oh, uh, yeah, he um, is in two of my favorite classic movies, M and Casablanca. Uh, if you haven't seen M, that's a little bit of a lesser known movie. It's this Jor- uh, German crime movie, um, basically from I believe nineteen thirty one, where uh, Peter Lorre plays essentially a serial killer who brings this whole small German town into controversy and uh, throughout the whole movie you know you're trying to figure out whether or not he is actually the killer and he it's such a great old school um, horror film and he's got such an interesting face and such an interesting acting style Um, I I wanted to catch up with a few more of his movies for this but I didn't get around to that but just just those two roles in in Casablanca alone speak a lot for him so yeah Peter Lorre cool Heath my number four is Michael Keaton Ooh, yeah, mm. I don't have a venture for me. Absolutely. So, uh, Michael Keaton, uh, I will admit my bias here. Uh, Spotlight is my second favorite film of all time. I think it is a tremendous work of art. Nice. That's great. Uh, I I can't get enough of it. But with that said, uh, I think Michael Keaton is tremendous. Um, it You know, especially because he even had his, like, Keaton renaissance himself because yep. he disappeared for a while. But in recent years, between Spotlight, Birdman, you could argue Trial of the Chicago Seven, or I really thought he was great in The Founder as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's been around long enough, and he's put out some tremendous performances, and he's been nominated as well. But yeah, he's not one. And uh, frankly, I thought Birdman or Spotlight were his best chances. So now I don't I don't know what the man has to do to win because if none of neither of those do it, where spotlight's more of an ensemble film and you can make an argument that mark ruffalo is the lead if you had to pick a lead out of them but even still that's really an ensemble piece but birdman although has ensemble qualities to it that's his story and uh he's doing a lot in birdman and uh if that didn't get it i don't know if he gets it but uh yeah i love michael keaton i think he's great and uh he should have an oscar yeah i agree uh my number four is adam driver Speaking of Star Wars, Kylo Ren, I'm going to stand firm on the fact that Adam Driver should have won for Marriage Story over Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Mm. I just I think he's so good in that role. But Adam Driver is is just one of those guys that, man, it's so he's such a chameleon because he has such different and wide variety of roles. I mean, he has, you know, that like dark and stoic. He's an emo boy when he's, you know, as Kylo Ren. (laughs) But then he's like this theatrical almost like potential to explode at any minute, you know, with marriage story. And then he's like this kind of like calm, complacent, 
checkered past wanting to get over it guy in Logan Lucky. Like he's he's got range and he's got and he's just he's just so good. But but specifically, like I'm thinking marriage story would have been a, a really good chance for him to win. I still I think he will win an Oscar before he's done with his career. Um uh, but Again, for some of the people on my list, I like I really wanted to put them on there, but I'm like, but they haven't really had that role yet. So I threw them to honorable mentions. I think Adam Driver had a chance with Marriage Story. So uh, I feel like he deserved a spot. So there we go. Number threes then, Jacob. Okay, number three is where I have John Goodman. Mm, honorable mention. Also me. never nominated. Yeah, that's a shame. Absolutely. I think he could have won for, uh, or at least been nominated for Big Lebowski. Oh, brother, where art thou? I know he's not in that movie a lot, but he's like swinging for the fences. A lot of his Coen Brothers stuff is so great. Honestly, I low key wanted him to be nominated for Ten Cloverfield Lane so bad. Sure, he's yeah. awesome yeah. in that. Yeah, uh, I mean Argo. He he's great in Flight. He is great in Flight. Oh my gosh, yeah. he's so funny. Blues Brothers, two thousand. No, I'm kidding. Uh- <laughs> the Flintstones, King Ralph. No. That's the thing is he's got a lot of cheesy '90s fodder too because he was a TV star at the time with Roseanne and you know probably took a lot of those projects just based on his fame. But yeah, Red State is another one that he's really good in. I'd even throw his Disney stuff out there. He's a, a fantastic voice actor, uh, Monsters <laughs> Inc. and Emperor's New Groove. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's one of our greatest. <laughs> Heath, uh, my number three is Charlie Chaplin. Mm. Mm. So nice. uh, Charlie Chaplin uh, never won, uh, yet by today's standards, we consider Charlie Chaplin to be one of the greatest actors that ever did the, the damn thing. Uh, yep. We consider some of his movies to be some of the best movies of all time. Uh, it's, again, another shame, especially because Charlie's gone now. There won't be another chance. It's not like, you know, Tom Cruise or Michael Keaton that I listed Um you know, he was nominated for The Great Dictator, didn't win, but that was his only nomination. You know, but between The Great Dictator or The Kid, Modern Times, City Lights, there's so much incredible quality work that has had such a lasting impact in the movie film industry and just society at large uh, that unfortunately will never give him the chance. I think he might have gotten an honorary uh, at one point later on but you'll never get the acting oscar that he truly deserved yeah and we were talking about this before we recorded we're not counting honoraries in this list no um because it's not an acting award it is a separate category my number three is andrew garfield cool yeah i mean look i love him as spider-man but like looking back on that social network performance like that's one of the best of all time and then in 2014 16 he had this really awesome run of um uh, 99 homes he's so good in and then um i love him in hacksaw ridge i'm um, low-key wanted him to like come away with some awards love for that uh and silence was out that same year great and then um last year or i guess two years ago now with the eyes of tammy faye and tick tick boom he's so good in both of those and then yeah th- throw in throw in spider-man and no way home like yeah that's a really and he's so good in under the band of heaven i know that's tv but the yeah I, look he could have won for pretty much any of the things that I mentioned and I would have been totally okay with that. You know, I, he's one of those, I believe will win an, will win an Oscar before he, he is done with his career, but oh, definitely. Yeah. I think he's uh, already nominated for social network and Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. And tick, tick, boom. No, no, hold on. He wasn't nominated for social network. No, he wasn't nominated for social. He was nominated he for Hacksaw and he was nominated for tick, tick, boom. Tick, tick. Yeah. I, 
him and Adam Driver both. I, I love both those guys, but the the way I looked at the category is like, how have you not won yet? And I know, they, I know. They, They've they're, got they're some more. Too, years they're too in them. new. Yeah, they've got more chances. <laughs> the guys I'm naming are either dead or they've been doing this for decades, and their time has <laughs> come and gone. <laughs> well, and I, I seriously considered that before putting them on that list, but I was just like, I tried to think of this as top five actors who have not won an Oscar, and so I'm just, I'm thinking like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it because they're both great still. Yep. Uh, all right, number twos. Wow, only one Trump so far. Okay, here we go. Mm, interesting. My yeah, number Jacob. two. This might get. This might get Trump. My number two is going to be Ray Fiennes. No honorable mention for me. Interesting. Yeah, he's had a lot of good roles. I uh, believe his only two nominations were Schindler's List and The English Patient. I haven't seen English Patient, but yeah, he's obviously amazing and incredibly menacing in Schindler's List. I think he's so good in Grand Budapest Hotel. I was shocked to see he didn't get nominated for that. He's low-key good in the Harry Potter movies, honestly. You know, that's a... Not not exactly an easy role to pull off. You know, his work on the James Bond movies are great. Quiz show um, from back in the day. Uh, he yeah, was buddy. really, really good in the menu this year. Yeah, he has a lot of accolades and a lot of... Uh, he's a very well-respected actor and uh, just has never uh, gotten that Oscar yet. I think he can, though. I think he's got something under his belt still to come. I, I believe in sure. him. Sure, sure. All right, Heath, who's your number two? Willem Dafoe. Yeah, good call. Uh, that one's shocking to me. Willem Dafoe has been nominated several times. Um, don't know how many he has, but I know it's more than one. Uh, I think he's up to three or four, actually. And uh, he's been going at this for decades. And, man, I I thought he would have maybe snuck in there and finally got one for the Florida Project or Lighthouse. But because he's having a little bit of a renaissance himself over the past five years uh, where He's been putting out some of the, arguably some of the best work of his career. Yeah. But once again, uh, just hasn't happened yet. And it's, it's crazy because almost everything he's a part of, he's, he just feels like he's the best thing in it these days. Even, even like Spider-Man, no way, no way home. He was tremendous. He was a better green goblin here in Spider-Man, no way home than he was 20 years ago in the original Spider-Man. I mean, it's just crazy how good this man is and everything that he does. Uh, he was awesome in the Northman uh, this past year. You know, from you know his his uh, Wes Anderson stuff, Grand Budapest, uh, French Dispatch, uh, his voice work in Finding Nemo. Again, I already said Florida Project, Lighthouse. He did Nightmare Alley the other year, uh, uh-huh. Life Aquatic. Yeah, I'm so good in that. Uh, you know, in Platoon at at Eternity's Gate, Last Temptation of Christ. I mean, he's terrific in everything he does. I I've never experienced a movie with him in it where I've had a problem with his performance. If anything, he's usually one of the best parts, even if it's a bad movie. And yeah. I, I just, I love him. And uh, it's a shame that he hasn't gotten it yet. And I hope that he does. Sure. All right. My number two is Jim Carrey. So Ooh. eternal sunshine, man on the moon, Truman show. Take your pick. Any of them yeah. are fine with me. Yeah. So he should have gotten cool. it for the Truman show. It's, it's highway robbery that he wasn't even nominated for that. Absolutely a joke. In my opinion, well, I mean, I think, I, look, I'd be good with any of the three, you know. Oh, sh- for sure. But I, I, yeah. I'm actually a massive Jim Carrey fan. Uh, that's yeah. definitely in my honorable mentions. And I've long thought that Truman Show was easily his best work, and it's one of the best movies ever made. And the fact that that got snubbed so hard uh, blows my mind. Sure. All right, number ones. I don't think either of you are going to have my number one. So 
But we'll Jacob, see. who do you have? All right. Number one is the one and only Kurt Russell. Never nominated well. either. Uh, he's been in so many great movies. You know, he easily could have been nominated for Miracle. That's a great role. Tombstone. All the Tarantino stuff. You know, I even like Escape from New York a lot. Because, you know, he just has so many different roles. And I think has such a wide range. Like, he can go from playing this, like, grungy dirtbag in Escape from New York to the straight-laced Wyatt Earp to, like, the unassuming dirtbag in, in Death Proof and stuff like that. And he just has such a prolific career to me. And I don't know. He, uh, we, we, the Oscars missed out on, on a couple of those. I put him in the, like, Harrison Ford camp, where it's like, I have so much respect for the actor, but, like, none of the roles have really been Oscar roles, you know? So, but yeah, tons of respect. Um, Heath, who's your number one? My number one is Peter O'Toole. Nice, good call. Peter O'Toole, I don't know if he still has the record, but I think at one point he had the record for the most nominations with never winning. He was nominated eight times. He never won. He is one of the greatest actors to ever live. It is a joke. But when you look at his nominations, you're like, well, damn it. Okay. okay. So like he was nominated for Lawrence of Arabia, considered one of the best movies of all time, but he lost to Gregory Peck, who played Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, which is yeah. also one of the greatest performances of all time. He's yeah. nominated for uh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. He lost to John Wayne in True Grit. He was nominated for The Ruling Class. He lost to Marlon Brando in The Godfather. He's nominated for The Stuntman. He lost to Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Nominated for My Favorite Year. He lost to Ben Kingsley in Gandhi. Like, he's literally just happens to sync up with some of what are considered some of the all-time greatest performances, while he himself is also delivering some of the all-time greatest performances. It's truly a shame, again, especially because Peter O'Toole himself has passed away, so... He's also now out of the running. He'll never get an opportunity. He did win an honorary Oscar at the uh, at a later point in his career, but again, f- for me, that's that's not good enough. Uh, he should have had an acting Oscar. Sure. For those not as familiar with Peter O'Toole, because the majority of his mainstay—I mean, he's been acting since 1960—but uh, like in the seventies is when he was really big. You will probably know him. He was the voice of Anton Ego and the food critic in Ratatouille. Yeah. That's probably where I would think most people would know him these days. Uh, but even more recent stuff like uh, Venus, he was nominated just in 2006, I believe. And he was in the, the Troy movie. He was the King of the Trojans um, or Lord of the Trojans or whatever the title was in the Brad Pitt Troy movie in 04. So he's tremendous. He's almost the best part of every project he's ever a part of. And it's a damn shame that the man got eight Oscar nominations and never won. Yeah. Fair. For my number one, I picked uh, Mods Mikkelsen. I just love the guy. Yeah. Look, and it's, it's for this one big reason. Look, I I think he's great in Casino Royale as the chief. I think he's like, these are not Oscar movies, but I think he's great in uh, like specifically rogue one. I think he's good in, in Doctor Strange. Um, and he was nominated for another round, which he could have won and I would have been happy with. That would have been fine by me. He's so good in that. But I, I legitimately think that if The Hunt from 2012 would have been a more recognized, like if the Oscars would have recognized more international features, if they essentially weren't only nominated for the international features. If they were more open like they are now. Yeah. Back then, yes, he should have been nominated and he, probably won. He should for have the been hunt. nominated and quite possibly won for the hunt. Yeah, so 
he's he's a little older, but I mean, the fact that he was nominated for another round, which is a foreign film, you know, he, but now he's got that. He is a Hollywood star and still doing movies the other way. Like I'm, I'm thinking and hoping he's going to get it sometime. You know, he's he's too good to not be recognized in in that regard. But so yeah, when I when I looked at his credits, I was like, oh, I guess it's he's he's in less than I've seen. You know, and I've seen like Polar, and he's he's fine in Polar, but that's a terrible movie. You know, and again, like. Doctor Strange and Rogue One aren't going to be those kind of things. I know we got a lot, for, a lot of love for Hannibal, but again, TV show now. But I just thought, man, The Hunt and uh, Another Round, like, dude's got stuff going for him, you know? So, all right, so honorable mentions time. Heath, why don't you blow through the couple of ones that you had? Yeah, sure. Uh, Peter Sellers I had for honorable mentions. Ian McKellen. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr., Samuel L. Jackson. Cary Grant. Yeah. Cary Grant never got it. Harrison Ford and Matt Damon. Cary Grant did get one of those honorary Oscars. But that but yeah, doesn't, that doesn't count. count. Yeah. Yep. Jacob, any honorable Matt, mentions? Matt Damon still has more than Oscar. No, he's been, nominated, the, he's been nominated three times. Never right. yeah. De- Departed, Martian, and Goodwill Hunting. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, no, not Departed. Uh, it was oh, uh, Goodwill Hunting, The Martian, and oh Talented my god, Mr. the one where he's a con artist with Jude Law. Yeah, oh, the, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thomas. So we're not counting the screenwriting Oscar that he won. No, no, it has to be acting. Cool. Okay, interesting. I'm surprised he didn't make anyone's list. My two honorable mention. He made my. my Well, uh, yeah. There you go. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) My two that I put down were Steve Buscemi and Alan Rickman. Yeah. Both never nominated. Yep. Um, The ones that that doesn't have a chance now and gone way too soon. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the the ones that I have left written down, I almost had him on the list, but he's definitely like still on the early tra- phases of his career. But Lakeith Stanfield is one; he's gonna win sooner rather than mm, later. Yeah, I, uh, he's again. I he's so. one of those that he's one of those that are like I couldn't quite pinpoint the like he very possibly could have won that year. You know, like with Adam Driver, I was like Marriage Story with Andrew Garfield. I was like Social Network; he should have won, you know, and he wasn't even nominated. So I couldn't quite pinpoint that for Lakeith Stanfield, but he'll he'll win someday. It's relatively recent, but like you just think about Chadwick Boseman's career, and it's with the amount of influential people he played. I'm I'm almost surprised the Oscars haven't given him an honorary one yet. Is more so what I meant to say by that. And the one that I I so badly wanted to put this one on the list, and if I could go back, I probably would. But it could have maybe even been number one. But Andy Serkis, it's just a shame that he hasn't yeah. won anything yet. You know, and you know, t- take it for for Gollum or. I would personally war for the planet of the apes. Um, he's so good as Caesar. Uh, I, I think Caesar, and for me, it's Dawn. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think that's his best performance. But yeah, it's a, it's a travesty that there isn't a motion capture voiceover performing Oscar. It's only yeah. someone wrote a monthly Oscar series that talked about that. Well, and it's not only that, but it's also like a shame that like those characters aren't considered. Yeah. Like, you know, it not not just that there's not an award for them, but you could easily throw in, you know, Andy Serkis as Gollum for best supporting actor in Two Towers, you know? Sure. And he might have won, you know? Um, so, yep. Andy Serkis would be a huge. So, uh, maybe now that he's actually doing live action stuff and yeah, who knows? Uh, probably one of those honorary Oscars one day, but I don't want that for him. I want a legit one. He'll get an honorary oh. and it's going to make me sad. Yeah. 
Well, that takes us to the spinoff. One thing in any area of pop culture that you want to tell everybody to check out or to stay away from. Uh, I'm going to kick us off because mine's going to be short and sweet. Uh, I did the review for it on on uh, Sif Pop. I saw it in theaters, but Glass Onion is now on uh, now out on Netflix, and I showed it to my parents the other day, and can confirm it is just as good, um, if not better, the second time you watch it. Yeah, I can't wait to watch I it pre- again. I kind of think it was just as good, but I think I was. I think I was the first time watching it where people have landed on it now after two or three viewings. So uh, anyway, if you if you still haven't seen it and somehow haven't heard Glass Onion is now on, on Netflix and it's one of my favorite movie of the year. So Heath, why don't you go next? Uh, for me, this came out a while ago, but I finally just now got around to watching it. It's George Carlin's American Dream. Mm. It's a mm-hmm. two part docu series. Each episode is two hours long, so it's four hours in total chronicling the entire history of George Carlin's career. And if you're a fan of George Carlin at all, this is about as comprehensive as it could possibly get. Not only do you get everything that a generic documentary could find on Wikipedia, but you get a whole bunch of behind the scenes interviews that were conducted just for this a whole bunch of recordings that were discovered that he made while he was still alive, a whole bunch of letters that he had written to his wife and his daughter and really gets you into the mindset of all the different things he did from his transition as like a straight man comedian in the fifties to the counterculture guy in the sixties and rebelling against Vietnam and kind of reinventing himself by the nineties that he was this like political, you know, slam poet kind of philosophizer and comedian at the same time. And uh, I just, I love the guy. And if you are interested in George Carlin at all, George Carlin's American Dream. It's on HBO Max. It's again two episodes. Each episode's about two hours. Nice. Uh, and then uh, Jacob, why don't you round us off? Excellent. I have been watching a new TV series on Showtime uh, called George and Tammy. Uh, this mm. is about uh, the tumultuous and very dramatic lives of George Jones and Tammy Wynette, country music legends. I'm already a little bit of a country music nerd. You know, I grew up on classic country. My mom and my grandma would just, you know, force George Jones and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and everybody on me. And I, you know, grew up on that all the time. I think George Jones is probably the best country singer ever. And it stars Michael Shannon as uh, George Jones and Jessica Chastain as Tammy Wynette. So that right off the bat, you've got two powerhouse performers bringing this... (sighs) such a vulnerable relationship they're they've both been damaged they've both been married multiple times they're bringing children from other marriages into this and just sort of the yeah the vulnerability that they bring to each other in the relationship and sort of how that can explode in one direction or the other you know and of course george jones was also a raging alcoholic so that uh makes things even more difficult right you've got an interesting supporting cast here too walton goggins is in this playing uh, Peanut Montgomery, who was a collaborator of George Jones, wrote some songs of his. Steve Zahn shows up for a little bit as uh, George Ritchie, who was another songwriter they worked with. A lot of uh, character actors you'll know. So yeah, I've seen the first four, and it uh, it's great. It's a, just a miniseries, six episodes total. You know, they were only married for five years, something like that, so there's not a whole lot of a story to tell. But as far as, like, multiple maybe more than six or seven episodes, but it's, it's really, really enjoyable. And 
I mean, I'll watch anything that Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain do. They're sure. two of my favorites. So, yeah, George and Tammy on Showtime. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Remember, you can follow Heath and Jacob uh, at the places they mentioned above. I'll have them in the episode description down below. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, letterboxd at Schweitcastle. And quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network, where you can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you want to write for the sifpop.com or if you want to get in contact, send us a question to explore during the B plot or send some feedback. I will take that all at writers room at sifpop.com. And uh, please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify if you're listening over there. Next week, we'll have every Sif Pop writer that sends me audio will be revealing their top five movies of 2022. Uh, and then we'll come up with a definitive Sif Pop one. Also, um, the Sifties are starting on the website next week. So make sure to check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with all of that. Uh, plenty of good stuff uh, coming out. Plenty of um, articles for you to check out on our year-end recap stuff. So two full weeks of Sifty stuff. Next uh, Wednesday is the uh, our audio podcast version of that. Also, as a quick reminder, this week on Saturday, there should be a episode dropping with Robert uh, talking with a couple of hip-hop writers reviewing December films. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And then in two weeks... So you have an idea of what to watch the next time this podcast comes out. Matt and Joe will be joining the show to talk about Blade 2 and Blade Trinity. Very exciting times because uh, I quite liked that first movie. So um, I'm really excited to watch what I think. I think most people consider the second one best and Trinity to be one of those awful Ryan Reynolds superhero failures. But <laughs> he collects anyway. those. He does. He does. Uh, I like to imagine he has like a whole like shelf of them, you know, Blade Trinity, Green Lantern, X-Men Origins, uh, you know, all the other ones. Mm-hmm. So, same with, uh, you know, Chris Evans with his Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, and The Losers, you know. Uh, the Losers is awesome. Thank you. No, The Losers is great. Yeah, it's just <laughs> but financially. It was yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it wasn't the movie that he wanted it to be. The, the losers is great. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for this week. Thanks, guys, for hanging out. Appreciate your time. Bye. Especially this late at night, you know. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Uh, and uh, come back next week to hear all the writers' top five of next week. We'll see you then. Bye.